Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 205 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. And man, we got lots to talk about. We are just uh, one day away, uh, two weeks away from the end of the NHL regular season. And there is a lot on the line uh, in the West, uh, even in the East. The Florida Panthers keep their season alive as Sam Reinhart ties the game with a minute to go. And then they win it. In overtime, Frank, like honestly, uh, Paul Maurice. So I just want to start with Paul Maurice. Uh, Paul Maurice on the bench. I'm not sure. I'm sure you've seen the video. Uh, we'll post it. But Paul Maurice on the bench was essentially me every time there's something technical that goes wrong. Right. You're just snapping. You're yelling, oh, bleep off. Are you fucking kidding me? And then you're yelling at no one. The difference was he was yelling at players. Usually I'm just yelling at a um you know, Alexa in my car, because there's nothing more infuriating when you're like, call Frank Saravalli. It'll be like, call Frank Peters. And you're like, no, Frank Saravalli. God, Sorry, you don't call me anyway. Yeah, it's the worst. True. You're a texter. So, yeah. I'm, I'm actually a, a very big phone talker. I spend hours, like literally hours a day on the phone. No, oh, I prefer the phone if I can. Yeah. But you never call me. It's okay. Yeah, well, we talk all the time with that. We, 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 we talk for a couple hours a week, literally. Yeah, so it's like a face-to-face. We're on a Zoom call every day. So, so this part is, is actually nuts. So I do this every once in a while. So I got my phone May 6th of 2022. So today is March 30th. Yeah. So it's, a, it's like 11 months to the day almost. I've been on the phone talking for 17 days and six hours in the last 11 months. Jeez, I'd have to look at mine. I don't think it's that's that close. You go to uh, setting, if, if you're on an iPhone, settings, cellular, and then scroll to the bottom. And there it is. 17 <laughs> days and six hours I've spent talking on the phone. And does it say how many hours you've spent on your phone? Uh, I bet you could get a screen time for sure. What's scary is when you get like this, do you get the report from yeah, every week and it says you're down, whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. when I go on holidays, it was like, you're down 98%. It's unreal. It's pretty I awesome. But what's the craziest part about the screen time stats is it tells you how many times you picked up your phone a day. Like it, they call it, it's actually called a pickup. Like mm-hmm. how many times did you pick it up and look at it? And like most days I'm somewhere between 450 and 600. In what? Pickup. Yes. Yeah. Holy cow. 450 just, and 600. You're just picking it up to look at it? Yeah. Or like someone texts you or you get a call or you get oh. a tweet notification or you get yeah. an email. Like I know your job requires you to be on your phone a lot, but that's ridiculous, man. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. That would not be uh, ideal. Now the uh, Florida Panthers last night. Uh, oh, by the way, Brennan Montour, shout out to Montour, set the Panthers franchise record most points in a season by a defenseman with 64, including the uh, overtime winner. He is um, seven shots away from most shots in a season by a defenseman, and he's four assists away from the uh, record for most assists. Seven, quite a year in uh, Florida for the Panthers. And will it be enough 
to uh, catch Pittsburgh because I don't think they're catching the Islanders at this point. And the Penguins in Nashville, two teams desperate for a playoff spot, are going at it tonight. And I give the Predators credit, Frank. They made all the trades at the deadline. We all thought they were out of it, but they've managed to stick around. They go into Bo- they beat Boston for goodness sakes, and uh, they extend their season to keep their hopes alive a little bit. Doesn't help. It doesn't hurt that the Jets can't win to save their life. Well, this is, uh, with all due respect to the Preds and the uh, Calgary Flames, like this is all has to do with the Winnipeg Jets completely dropping the ball. I mean, those teams should have been out weeks ago. Had it, all the Jets needed was like a, you know, a seven and and four run, something like that to put them out of their misery, and it just hasn't happened. The funny thing about the standings is we talk all the time about points percentage and opportunity with the games in hand, the Preds are actually in a better statistical spot than the Calgary Flames are in terms of getting into that final spot. And the Preds are nine, six, and two since they started plucking pieces off of their roster. Nino Niederreiter, Tanner Janot, Matthias Ekholm, all these guys are gone and the injuries that they've had significant, significant pieces out of the lineup and they're nine, six, and two. That's crazy. How many nine, six, and two runs have the Flames had all season long? I would argue one, maybe. Yeah, the challenge about the Preds, though, is their remaining schedule. Like, they, they definitely have the toughest schedule. They have those games in hand. But, you know, you look at who they're playing, right? They've got Carolina and Vegas and Minnesota and Colorado and Pittsburgh and Dallas and Winnipeg and Calgary. Now, the good news is, you know, the the schedule maker got it right here because Calgary, Winnipeg, and Nashville are all playing each other down the stretch. So that makes those games exciting. But Nashville's definitely got the toughest schedule. The Flames have the – now, the Jets have a – starting a four-game home, five-game homestand here, Detroit, New Jersey, Calgary, Nashville, and San Jose. And really, they could set themselves up so the final two games of the season on the road don't matter in Minnesota and Colorado because if they can beat Calgary and Nashville at home and take care of business against the Sharks and Wings, two teams they should beat, then they're okay. But um, if they happen to stub their toe, the Flames schedule, like look at it, Frank, they're playing Vancouver on the road twice, non-playoff team, Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose, and then they have those games against Nashville and Winnipeg. So they actually have the easiest schedule. Remains to be seen if they take advantage of. I'd love to see it happen. I would love to see that team with the pieces that they've traded away, with the injuries that they've had, to then know that their GM, who has never won a Stanley Cup in 39 years on the job, even just to get in and dream about that for eight days or however long it lasts, what a story that would be. For the Preds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it would be. It'd be a surprise. And, like, the Jets put out an APB uh, for any of their offensive guys right now. Are you kidding we, me? We talked, a month, like, three weeks ago, and it was about their inability to defend as a team. Now it's about their inability to score. Yeah. Mark Shifley, no goals in nine games. Blake Wheeler, no goals in 21 games. It's basically been Adam Lowry and Nikolai Ehlers. That's it. No the rest goals of the teams on a, on a one games. That's Frank. that's no goals for Shifley and Wheeler in a combined thirty games. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. In, it seems impossible. Shifley's got thirty-eight goals this year. Yes. Yeah. Nine and nine. Yikes. 
Yeah. So, well, I guess, well, in Shifley's case, the good news is you'd think he'd be due here to start scoring again. If you're a Jets fan, that's what, you got to hold out hope. I don't care what team you are. If your best players don't produce, you're not going to win. Like you can go one or two games or short stints and, and not win or win a game or two, but eventually if you can't score, you're not going to win. And uh, so they need those guys point blank. And Rick bonus who's who's usually a publicly anyway, a pretty calm guy. He is, he has not minced his words lately in Winnipeg. No, I love it. If, but if you, has everyone caught on to the one response that was, if these guys think they're emptying the tank, they're dreaming. If you've listened to his press conferences for the last six weeks, he's almost said the same thing after every game. That yeah. one was just a little bit more pointed, but he's basically been exasperated. I could envision him going back to the coach's room after the press conference and just standing there banging his head against the wall. Cause that's, that's basically all he's been doing on the bench is like, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Buddy, he's Paul Maurice in the back room. Oh God. I've watched that clip so many times today. I'm just, especially the one time when he turns around and the, watch it is, and you see the lady behind in the crowd and she can see him freaking out and she's kind of laughing. She's just like, Oh my goodness. And uh, obviously hasn't seen a guy freak out, but the best part was when he has his first little rant, then he stands back and he looks and you can see him voicing just the, the bleep off. <laughs> yeah, well, Oh God, it's funny. I know some people don't like it, but I'm like, Hey, pro sports is emotional. And sometimes you got to get on it and you can see the players. They're just sitting there. Like no one's like Matthew Kachuk standing on the bench and he's kind of looking at him cause he's on the ice and the other guys are just looking straight forward. Like they can hear everything the coach is saying and, and they probably are. I don't know how they them. keep a straight face. Oh, like remember when David Quinn earlier this year lost it in San Jose and he got kicked out of the game. He got kicked out and fined 25 K. Yes. Well, if, if you, I don't know if you saw the one video where Eric Carlson, because you see they're showing the video, and because uh, I remember I talked to, to my nephew afterwards because he was sitting right in front of him, and he's keeping a straight face, and he looks over because you kind of want to look down because at some point you kind of chuckle, right? Because there are certain words that he used that uh, I'm not going to say on here, but they said there was the one word he used that broke the guys, and he looks over, and there's Eric Carlson. <laughs> because at some point you're going to laugh, right? Like You have to. You have you're to. Gonna like, break. It's funny. Everybody has that somebody. It's it's like think about in your household if you're married, when your spouse eventually has it where you know the kids have exasperated their patience and it's run to the end and they're losing their mind and sometimes maybe they're losing their mind and obviously not cursing probably like an NHL coach, but you as a husband or wife you're sitting there and and you're like, well, it's not me who's getting upset, so it's way funnier. That's at least how it is in our household. Like a lot of times I'll have to leave the but room. Usually that's me though. That's the spaz. <laughs> that's the oh. thing. I know that's not going to be hard for anyone to believe. Ah, no, like my but, wife's so, pretty calm, but when she does snap, that's when it's so funny to me. Like, oh I love God. it. I'm just dying. And Oh God, it's funny. Any it's parent funny. can relate to this too. Like most days there's not really an issue, but if there is one, you could bet almost every time on it, getting the kids out the door to school in the morning. Like it's just, it's like herding cats, man. And every morning you can like, whether I'm down here, you know, in the basement talking or doing a pot or I can hear it, whether I'm in my office, get in the car. It's like, it's just uh, every single, you could set your watch to it. Like eight fifty-five every morning. Whoa. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Related, unrelated, 
has the NHL gone soft on ejecting coaches from games and the fines for coaches? So David Quinn, that's the second. So David Quinn was one. And yeah. then this week, D- Derek Lalonde also ejected. That's two coaches in one month. And I'm sure a fine is going to be coming for Lalonde. It took a few days to for them to announce the one for Quinn. The previous, there had been one, one coaching ejection in four years prior to that. Yeah, I don't know if you can say it's soft. Maybe it's just a coincidence that it's two. Now, I know that, that Quinn but, and the officials kind of have a history, right, in San Jose. The, you know, those officials and, and Quinn, he's kind of got a, a running feud, it seems, right? So my point, my point is they clearly the, the fuse is shorter for the NHL. Like they're going to, they're not going to tolerate that. Uh, you know, if you want to abusing air quotes, the abuse of officials. Yeah. I'd like, to, you'd always like to know what was said, right? Um, Most of the time you can lip read it. Yeah. Like I know in Quinn's case, he went on, I think he was trying to make a point there where once you read a certain point, he just kept going on in hopes to say, get me out of here. Right. And, uh, and so maybe, you know, I don't know if you think about it, if it's twice in, in a month, but then it was only one in four years, are our coaches more frustrated? You could be honest. I'm I'd have to see if it's more than, I don't think they're more frustrated. I just think the point is that the league with these fines in particular, like go back to the the one Rod Brindamore got, but it's clearly a crackdown is, is what I'm saying. They're not, they're saying we're not going to allow you to display that type of behavior like you used to. Yeah. Well, Rod Brindamore, he got fined. And you know what? Rod Brindamore was a hundred percent accurate in everything he said. Yes. And it was, it wasn't, profanity laced it no. didn't look it didn't appear to be yeah so yeah you're probably right the, you know doesn't surprise me uh, i think that's five coaches that have been fined in the last year yeah the nhl doesn't like lot. anybody who ever is going to say anything even if it's truthful that's the point i could see if it's over emotional and maybe it's a little bit of self-bias towards your team okay but if, if you're being honest and saying hey wait a sec because if you're saying you're never allowed to question the officials ever, that's a problem. I You can question them in a respectful manner like Rod did. I think that should be encouraged, to be honest. Like, if it's respectful, say, hey, wait a sec. Come on. Like, that's not a penalty. There's no rhyme or reason that's not a penalty. Now, that I, doesn't mean the official's terrible. It just means they made the wrong call. I, I just think they're – and I – I have a bunch of friends in the officiating community that I respect. And I think they've got such a difficult job. I don't think the league allows them to help themselves. They, they should be able to address and explain with their own voice to report a reporter or pool reporter post game. So like the NBA does. Well, the NBA does it. The NFL comes out with statements or reviews the next day after there's a blunder, like, the league, for whatever reason, it's like, instead of saying, yeah, like making mistakes is a fact of life in this profession, they pretend like they don't happen. Yeah. that's And I and think that's, it, 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 everyone can see right through, like no one's saying don't defend your guys. No one's saying come out and wear a cross. That's not what anyone's asking for. It's just, can you help us understand your frame of mind, your thought process as you made that? No one's saying you need to be perfect. Just give us some insight as to what you saw, and it could help us all understand a lot better. 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And, and, and I think that it would be incumbent on people because too often, you know, everybody, oh, that's a marginal call. I can't believe it. Most of the complaining is, is a ill-advised. It's not even correct. Right. Um, so you, you look at that, but I think in certain cases, yes, because if an official came out and said, you know what, I missed that one. Guess what? Everybody be like, okay, he missed it. Move on. Cause guess what? Players miss reads. Players make terrible passes that lead to goals against. It happens all the time. So, you know, I'd expect, I don't ever expect the officials to be perfect, but I think you're right. It would probably calm down a lot of the angst. You're always going to get the whiners. And to me, I don't, I don't even worry about the whiners. They, they whine about everything if it goes against their team. That's not what we're talking about. But when you're so sensitive that you can't even take one hint of criticism, what does that do for anyone? Yeah. Well, no offense, man. It's the league run by Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman will lie straight to your face about things when it's factual. I.e. start times on games. But anyway, we won't get into that again. Oh, my but, God. Um, I do want to talk a few other things, Frank. Um, you know, we talk about the Flames and the Jets and the Preds. And can, then, can, know, hold got, on a second. I need to, like, you, what what is start times to games? So, um, last year in the playoffs, you know, so it says that the games are going to start. Like, the NHL games last year, some of them were starting at 750, 752. And Gary, when I asked him about it, he goes, no, all our games started eight after the hour or eight, like, basically at 808 or 838. And I'm like, are you joking? I have the sheets right in front of me. It says on your website, on the game sheets, when the games start. They were ne- like they were announced at 7.30. They were starting at 7.52, 7.51. It was, idi- it was idiotic. That's all I'm saying. It's, stu- it's, it's the easiest fix that the NHL could do, and they don't Why do does this bother you? Because it's dumb. Why say your start your time is going to be this time? Today. Well, buddy, why why say your start time is one time and then never start there? Well, what's the difference? I like that fans are in their seats twenty minutes ahead of time, because it, it, invariably you get a late arriving crowd and whatever else. I like it. The crowd think, hates it, Frank. Yes, the crowd hates it. It's brutal. Yeah, why? And, you, and honestly, these are playoffs, Frank. Tell me when there's a late arriving crowd in the playoffs. I, I mean, plus here's I, the other. Thing. Here's my thing. You can you you go. You can say whatever you want. Of all the things to get worked up about with this league, that's not no, even in the top. No, 100. no. Listen, listen, big picture. Here's okay. why. So you have double headers in the playoffs. If you would actually start the first game at 7 p.m. Eastern, all the games, excluding their overtime, they'd be done, and you could start the second game at 7:30 Mountain Time. Right, everybody would start earlier. It would actually increase your TV viewing audience significantly, but it doesn't because now it pushes everything back to your late game starting way later. Like look, look at the big games in the in the NFL. Right, they're starting at eight Eastern. Right, some maybe nine o'clock Eastern. You've got NHL playoff games starting at ten fifty two Eastern. How the hell are you getting any TV audience? It's moronic. Yeah, I don't think they. They, they're not thinking that the East Coast fan is going to be watching the West Coast game at 10.52. They're just yeah. they're not even counting on it. It's, okay, it's, but even started, even starting at, at Central time, right? Now, I know the Central, there's not much you can do. Sorry, Central fans, you get screwed over uh, in the playoffs. But if you started every game on time, you said, it would, it would, we're talking 22 minutes. You're talking 40 minutes earlier between the two games. It's a big difference. Okay. Uh, point taken. And I would say... Yeah, I just, like, when I think of the playoffs, the thing that drives me nuts from a TV and ratings perspective is the best thing 
about the play the playoffs is the first round and the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got eight series going on at once, and they're they're for the most part, well. For here in the U.S., every game is on national TV, which is amazing, and it's on it's all on linear cable too. You know, you can find it on USA Network, or previously it was like they throw the games on CNBC or wherever you needed to get the games. It's sort of like the NCAA tournament; you can watch every single game, and it's amazing. But why do they start it on a Monday? Why not start the first game of round one on Saturday? Instead, they end their season on a Friday this year, and Saturday is is blank. There's no yeah. game. Well, technically, the season was supposed to end on Thursday. Remember, those two games on Friday are makeup games. Oh, okay, so then why isn't round one, if those teams are non-playoff teams on Friday, why isn't round one starting on Saturday? Yeah, or Sunday at the earliest. I can understand it. I'm sure the players are like, hey, we want some time off to be rested. It's not yeah. like you could say, hey, that's the NFL draft weekend and we're seeding the floor to them. That's not till later in April. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, honestly, why would you have a Saturday night to open the playoffs and there's no hockey? Yeah. Usually the playoffs, always, the regular season usually ends on a Sunday. Yeah. And then they start Wednesday, right? Yeah, but I mean, Monday? Like, come on. Yeah, but everybody's going to watch, are they not? As much yeah, as they think can. about how many more would watch yeah. on Saturday. Well, especially when the games are starting half an hour late, Frank. Well, so. <laughs> now, Frank, you came out um, and and fired up people like Leafs Nation's on edge right now over everything. They're complaining about the fact that they've known who their playoff matchup is for far too long, and that's unfair. Even though there's races everywhere else in the in the playoffs, but uh, you had uh, Michael Bunting at the top of your projected free agent board uh, coming in and around, you know, five and a half, maybe even pushing to $6 million. You know, he's been a 50 point player uh, in 63 last year, and he's going to score 50 points again this year in Toronto. How big, like when you look at what Zach Hyman signed for and, and Zach Hyman was lucky because he went from Marner and Matthews and actually upgraded to dry saddle McDavid, which is hard to do. Um, Michael Bunting are other teams going to look, and I'm curious, do they say, yeah, this guy's productive with those two. How productive could it be on our team if we don't have a Matthews and Marner? How much do you think that impacts his free agency? Weren't So, okay, I, I think everyone is mostly in agreement that Michael Bunting and Zach Hyman are not the same players, right? Like, Hyman is this relentless four-checker. I mean, Bunting has a little bit of, like, a little bit of rat in him. Uh, and, and I say that lovingly, like in a good way. Um, but he's not Zach Hyman. Yeah. But everyone was asking the same question about Hyman. It was like, take him away from the star players in Toronto, and he's never going to score. He's never going to put up points. Yeah, but he got to play with two better star players. That's the thing. Okay. But the point is, Zach Hyman's still good. Yeah, I agree. He's gone to Edmonton, and he, he's, he's doubled up whatever he did in Toronto. For the most part, he's doubled it in point production. So why, like, does anyone think that that Michael Bunting only puts up numbers because he's that's who he plays with? I've seen all the comments. All I'm saying is, look, this has nothing to do my ranking where he plays or what jersey he wears. 
I've heard it from every which angle since getting ratioed with that top 50. People have said, oh, you're just trying to drive up the price because it's the Leafs and you hate the Leafs. I don't, I don't hate anyone. I don't care who wins. I honestly could care less. I, there's, I have no skin in the game. That's the best part about being a reporter. Um, so that part, don't understand it. Then the other part is like, you're, you, you're picking him for clickbait. Here, here's how I arrived at Michael Bunting at number one on my top 50. The reason is just look at the rest of the class. And if you are trying to project by total dollars that a player will take in, I'm not saying it's a guarantee that Michael Bunting will be number one in total dollars signed for this summer among UFAs. But he has just as good a shot as Alex Kalorn, Dmitry Orlov, JT Comfer, Tristan Jari, like any one of those other players in the top 10. And people say, oh, you're a jackass. Patrick Kane's going to sign for way more. I, I could be wrong, but after $116 million, I don't think Patrick Kane's motivation is money. My guess is that he, like, I think on the right team with the right circumstances, you could probably talk Patrick Kane into a one-year, $1 million deal somewhere. I'm not saying that'll happen. Someone might step up and pay him, but the difference with Kane, too, is he's got such a limited market of teams that he would consider living in and going to. Yeah. No, like his AAV could be higher, but the the, the term and the length of the contract. Could you see him sign for, like, three times three? Like, I could see that, like, or whatever it is, three times five million? Yes. Yeah, like, sure. That's what I see. Sure, I could see that. But is yeah. Michael Bunting, this is his only opportunity in his life to cash in. Oh, 100%. I, I, he's getting, obviously, he's only making 950. So he, he percentage-wise, I think he's going to get the biggest raise of anyone. And, and the other guy who I think's in in line is going to get a significant pay jump is, is Scott Mayfield. I think there's well, a shortage of right sure. defensemen. He can defend. Um, now, I don't think he's going to go Gabranson-like numbers, but all it takes is one. Nobody thought Gabranson was going to get the money he got in yeah. Columbus last year. Well, that was everyone saying, oh, Gavrikov's going to make more than bunting. If Gavrikov gets more, gets more than what could Branson got four times four, I'll be shocked. Shocked. I'm just reading the market. Like, tell me who on this list, maybe Severson, maybe he gets, like, maybe someone gives Severson, like, six times six, maybe. I, it seems like a lot. Yeah. Who Like, who? tell me who's getting more total dollars. Is it O'Reilly? I don't think so. Not a 32. He turns 33 and he's had, he's missed 30 games this year. Yeah, there's, it's not a, well, it's not a, it's not a, a flashy free agent class by any stretch. One of, of the worst ever. There, there's lots of intriguing names though. Like I look at what's Sean Monahan going to get on the market and for term and, and salary. That, that's an interesting one to me. And I know, you know, Connor Brown, who, uh, you know, got injured this year, basically didn't play, right? Signed a one-year deal of $3.6 million. You know, how much of a discount is he taking because of that, right? I, I, I know you talked about he's in a unique category that someone could sign with the minimum and then a bunch of bonuses. Um, would he agree to do that? It would probably have to be very attainable bonuses. Well, uh, that's, that's what you do, though, because they're not a cap consideration for – this season, those bonuses don't apply to this next season. They apply to the year after if you're over the cap. Yeah, if you're over the cap, right? 
Yeah. But most teams will be. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some interesting one. Dimitri Orloff, like I look at Boston and I wonder if they find a way to, to sign him, just depending maybe on how the season goes. It might be difficult, but. I just you know, think th- re-signing anyone in Boston is going to be hard because they've got the Pasternak deal kicking in. And yeah. then what happens with Bergeron and Krejci, like those two guys aren't in my top 50 because I don't think they're actually, quote, free agents. No. It's Boston or bust if they mm-hmm. even decide to come back. Yeah. And you can make the same could... you can make the same or raise the same question about Jordan Stahl, who I think is a really interesting one at number eight, because they've had negotiations. It's been on and off in Carolina to keep their captain. And it is I think it's sort of, for lack of a better term, stalled right now. <laughs> there hasn't it hasn't picked back up again. And I think everyone's sort of waiting, thinking this guy is he really going to go play somewhere else? And I think the answer is the longer this drags on, that becomes a reality. Yeah, and then there's lots of guys who what they do in the playoffs will impact it, right? Rightly or wrongly, that's yep. always going to impact some guys. And you look at, there's a lot of these guys. You mentioned Gavrikov in LA. Uh, you, you mentioned a guy like, uh, you know, Tristan Jari, if they get in, if he stands on his head for the Penguins, what does that do for him? There's so many uh, health questions with this class. Jari oh. is a great example. Um, we talked about O'Reilly. Um, I mean, Tyler Bertuzzi is such a talented player, and he's got all of the best. I called him Brad Marchand light. He's got all of the best rat-like qualities that makes you love him. But he's got a bad back, I think. I think that's the report is this guy's really struggled with his back. No one really wants to take the risk. Um, well, what about Freddie Anderson when you kind of talk injuries, right? Good player. It's this whole up. class, I'm telling you. Patrick Kane, Freddie Anderson, Max Pacioretty, Connor Brown, Jonathan Drouin, Sean Monahan, um, Nick Felino, like it, Jason Zucker. Every, almost every guy on this list has been significantly banged up at one point or another. That mean that might mean there's some value buys. Well, hey, what about a guy like Jonathan Drouin, who has struggled mightily to score this year? He's probably going to have to sign a show me contract, yep. very low. And the guy's like, he could turn out to be one of the great finds on a one year deal because he's got potential. He's obviously had a brutal season. There's no question about that. But there's a guy that you know, the, the, if he gets in the right mix on the right team, they could they could be getting huge value on a one year deal. Like I don't see him getting a multi year deal at this point. And I just think he's one of those guys that's ready for a change of scenery. It, I don't think it has been anything to do with, you know, the Canadians. I think he's been so proud to be a Montreal Canadian um, being a, a Quebecois, but I, I think it's just gone so far off the rails after that first two good seasons. The injuries haven't helped. COVID didn't help. Obviously he was really public with his battle with mental health Getting that guy to the next place is going to be super beneficial for him. And the one other one, Frank, he was a free agent last year. Uh, didn't get the the big term. He did get big dollars on one year with John Klingberg, but I'm fascinated to see what he signs for this coming summer. Yeah, I originally had John Klingberg a bunch higher on my board. I think I had him. So right now he's in the 23 spot. I think I had him around like 13, 14, 15. And a couple of the front office executives that I, I always take my board and I send that to them and ask for comments. And we, you know, 
does anyone seem out of place? Who am I missing? You know, what's, what's the market for this guy? That's how this board is shaped. And like three, three people were like, yeah, you, you have John Klingberg too high. Hmm. He needs to move further down. Yeah. But what if he has a fantastic playoff for the Minnesota wild? Hey, what I if want, thank you. They could, then they could go on a deep run. I could see that team 16, four and one in their last 21. Dude, I mentioned it a while back and people stopped. It, it might me be 16, one and four. It's yeah. actually, I think it's better than that. Dean Evison. He has to be serious. I know. I understand what Montgomery's doing in Boston for sure, but you cannot overlook Dean Evison. I, I think he's a clear second guy right now for coach of the year. When you consider how lower their cap space is, what they're using there, they've been on this role and Kaprizov's out, right? He's their best player and he's out right now. You're, what Minnesota's doing, they go into Colorado last mm-hmm. night and beat up on the Avs. A now, team the that Avs was hated. smoking hot anyway. Yeah, and Gustafson's been great. Like, that trade, Bill Garant, you know, at Ottawa is probably like, oof, that's not looking good for them right now because that trade has been unreal for Minnesota. So you look at the GMing by uh, Bill Garant, and then you 16, throw in 16-1-4. They've lost one time in 21 games in regulation. Yeah. They're hot, man. So Gustafson... I so what I love about that trade is it doesn't really it didn't really have anything to do with hockey. That's the same thing that was part of the the um, Parise and Suter buyouts. It's like we've got an issue here in this with this team in this room. We're gonna make our team better addition by subtraction. Everyone's like, oh, the cap hits. You're gonna you're gonna be crushed. Who would do that in their right mind? I think they've managed just fine. Cam Talbot demands an extension after, especially after getting uh, Mark Andre Fleury got uh, two years. He wants an extension to stay, and they're like, eh, we're, "No one's going to demand anything here. If you're unhappy, we'll trade you." That's what happened. Yeah. He goes to yeah. Ottawa and has had a more or less miserable season with the injuries that he's had. And Gustafson comes back. So the best part about it, they swapped the two straight up. And Gustafson costs a million bucks less on the cap, and he's been lights out. Yeah. And hey, shout out to Freddie Goudreau, first player in wild history to score two shorthanded goals in a game last night in Colorado. And then, of course, Gustafson stood on his head with the 42 saves. But there's something about that wild team. Like, you know, now obviously you get to the playoffs, and I think for them, if they can finish first and avoid both Dallas and Colorado in the first round, that's a massive win for the wild. Massive win. So, you know what? We got lots of games tonight, Frank, that have huge playoff implications. Of course, uh, LA and Edmonton, the two hottest teams in March, are, are going at it tonight. Uh, the orders uh, absolutely rolled over Vegas. Um, LA, how about this for some numbers, Frank? So, LA has played 12 games this month, and their goaltenders have split evenly, six and six, and they've just rotated back and forth. And, and if they continue that, it's Copley's start tonight. So Copley has allowed two goals, two goals, one goal, one goal, two goals, and then six. They had the one outlier against the Blues when they were up five to one and kind of fell asleep. And then you throw in Corpusalo, and all he's done is two goals, two goals, two goals, one goal, two goals. Like, the outside of that one game with the hiccup, they're allowing only two goals a game in 11 games. And they're scoring, on average, four goals a game. The orders, of course, are up at like 4.75 goals per game like this. There's a lot on the line in Edmonton tonight. And uh, Vegas, of course, in San Jose probably should win that game. But 
you know, tonight, if Edmonton wins, it keeps their, their home ice advantage uh, alive. If they lose, I think it's pretty much done. They're not catching either one of LA or Vegas. Hmm. Interesting. So I was asked this question this morning on radio and I want to get your take. If the, if the Oilers were to meet the Kings in the first round, which to your point seems pretty likely and the Oilers were to lose to the Kings, which is entirely possible. Mm -hmm. It's I, I view that series as a coin flip. Really? Well, they're obviously not firing a coach. Um, I, I'd be surprised if they fired the GM, right? He's, he's I don't think that would happen either. Move. I don't even think that's on the table, but I'm like, the question as it was posed to me was like, it, does Connor McDavid just, is he fed oh, up? Oh, God. And Stop. I'm like, that's so overplayed. Yeah, it's the worst. Like, I don't it, think that's ever even been a thought in his mind. It's, it's not. Emmett, like, Connor McDavid might be like, yeah, I want to get traded. They'd be like, okay, well, we'll wait. Uh, and that, that you'll be emotionally upset if they lose, as he should be. But you know what? Um, it, I'll say this. If they lose that series, which you're right, Frank, I think, like, that's why, like, L.A. and Edmonton are the two teams that both of them want to avoid each other in the first round. I think either one would gladly play Vegas. No knock on Vegas, but they're giving up way too much. They're banged up to all in, and they got go and they got you know significant goaltending issues. So I think either LA or Edmonton would want to take them, and that's why you know either you're going to have to try to catch them to to avoid it or get home ice advantage in that series. And we saw last year home ice advantage was the difference as Edmonton won Game Seven on home ice rather handily. So um, if Edmonton lost that series. I think it would just it would be a massive disappointment for the franchise, but I don't think it would lead to massive overhaul. I'd be surprised if it did. I think what it would they would want to address, depending on how they lost it, because um, the problem is how can you address your goaltending in the offseason? Right? Like not sure with you, that not with that contract. Yeah, like it's it's hard to do. And you know, I think regardless of what happens in the playoffs, because Edmonton Edmonton, I don't I wouldn't be surprised if Edmonton comes out of the West. But they also I, could lose I the first either. round LA. I don't think there's anything really like you're talking percentage points and and single small digit percentage points separating all six teams that are in the division spots. Yeah, like one of the stats that like, uh, does that anyone think people, that the Dallas Stars are a pushover? I don't. No, I've got to go through over. the teams. Maybe so. Like I, I did this yesterday on Oilers Nation every day with Tyler. If you were to rank the six teams in the West by perceived power or order of finish in the conference, my order today would be something like Colorado one, Edmonton two, Minnesota three, Dallas four, LA five, Vegas six. What would yours be? Um, I would actually have Colorado one, Edmonton two, LA three, Mini four, Vegas five, Dallas six. Okay, so it's close, but yeah. that speaks to how like, is how different. So you had Mini five, right, or Dallas four. five? I had Mini, I had Mini four, Mini in LA. I swap over you. I think you had Mini three in LA. Okay, four. but so like my point is, if if Mini beat Edmonton. Or in a, in a conference final, or if Dallas beat Edmonton, or Col or any one of those teams beat Colorado, would you be shocked or surprised? 
No, not especially like Colorado's injuries and the fact that they lost Kadri and Burakovsky. They're just not the same team as last year. Even when healthy, they're not the same team. I think it's five, maybe six, mostly equal teams. Yeah. Which is is exciting and exhilarating, but also exasperating if you are a fan of a team like the Oilers who has so much riding on this year. Uh, well, and that's how it is in the East too, right? Like you look Toronto, Tampa, Boston, Carolina, the Rangers, New Jersey, they're top six teams. Uh, Same thing. Like I disagree Boston, though. I, I've, yeah. You think Boston's I've, a clear winner? I, I don't, I don't think clear winner. Cause I don't think you can say that in the Stanley cup playoffs, but I think right now as well as they've played this season, that it's Boston. And then a real, I, not really big gap, but a big gap between the next best team, which, you could argue is Toronto, New Jersey, or Carolina. Or and the Rangers, I, man. I don't sleep on the Rangers. No, I, I, I don't either. But I also think um, like Carolina's play over the last couple of weeks actually has me a little concerned. Oh, dude, I, I took him out of the running. Honestly, I would have, this might sound strange. If I was basing it today based on play, what would your six be ranking them? Well, Boston would be one. I would have the Rangers two. I'd have Toronto three. Then I would have, well, I'm still going to give Tampa four. And then I would go New Jersey, Carolina. New Jersey doesn't have much experience and Carolina doesn't have the offensive punch come playoff time. Wow. So you're saying Carolina six out of six. Yeah. Wow. I think that Svechnikov injury is crushing for them. It is. It hurts. There's no question. I, I would, yeah. But they can finish first, and that means they don't have to play New Jersey or, or the Rangers, so I probably should put them higher just simply because of that. I probably should put them ahead of New Jersey because they don't have to play the Rangers. So let me swap. I'll say they're five and the Devils are six. It's good. It's, it's a fun exercise, but my point is if you were putting them on a spreadsheet or looking at them on a computer, it would be Boston with like a clear, like bold underline separating them from number two. And I just don't think that exists in the West. Yeah. I'd still take the field though over Boston in the East. That's just the nature of hockey. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. There's a bigger gap there for sure. Um, the, The West, there is no dominant team in the West right now at all. But um, you know, there obviously there's a dominant player and that's why Edmonton has the advantage. We yeah. saw it last year. You, you talked about it the other day. McDavid, there's just nobody that can match McDavid, and the guy who's closest is on his team. Uh-huh. That's the advantage they have. So I've got a piece coming out uh, on Friday on dailyfaceoff.com about Edmund, uh, Leon Dreisaitl's chase of Tim Kerr's single-season power play goals record. Yep. He this hasn't. Yeah, he needs five to tie, six to break the record. It hasn't. I don't know what it's been like in your market, but it, it feel like it hasn't been a huge talking point around the league. And it's, I, I truly thought this record would never be broken. Well, it's funny, Frank, because it wrote might not be. It, I wrote about it today. McDavid and, and Drysaddle are the sixth duo in NHL history to combine for 50 power play goals. Tim Kerr and uh, uh, Ilka Sinisalo. Of course, we're second. Rob Brown and Mary Lemieux are first. They had 55. Kerr and Sinisalo had 53. And then you got a, three other duos that are like 51 and, and 52. And Edmonton, I, they're going to they're gonna pass them. Um, they, they're on pace for 54 goals combined between the two of them. 
Um, Dry Settle to score five power play goals in seven games is pretty hard. But the difference is when Tim Kerr scored his 34 power play goals, there's way more power play chances. Philly had 386 power play chances. The orders have had 257. Right. So when you look at goals per power play opportunity, Dry Saddles had the best ever in NHL history. Yeah, and I oh it's that's that's what I'm I, I agree how special it is. Look, 30 goals of any kind in a season is is amazing. Yeah. But 30 on the power play, like one more and he hits 30. He's the first he'll be the first player in the salary cap era, the first player since 1995-96 to hit 30. It's an incredible accomplishment and you know so Tim Kerr, I, I've tried to track him down in recent days. He, he lives a very quiet life. Um, and so unfortunately, I haven't been able to get him to this point. But before we did the pod this morning, I spoke to Pelly Eklund in, in uh, Sweden. He's back home in Lexan, Sweden. He's a scout for the Seattle Kraken. And what's interesting about Pelly Eklund is he spent 10 years as an amateur scout for the Edmonton Oilers. And he actually was there watching Leon Dreisaitl in junior, you know, putting him on the radar for the Edmonton Oilers, um, which is it's kind of an amazing thread that ties the two. Pelly Eklund assisted on more than half of Tim Kerr's record power play goals that season. So really cool um, little connection there. And just I also talked to Dave Poulin, who was part of that power play as well, and at varying points in the season, they were just saying just about Tim Kerr, like what an understated career. Like, oh, he's got three hundred and second years. Oh, 50 he, goals. Man. Yeah. Four, 54, 54, 58, 58 are his goal totals over that four year run. Three hundred and seventy goals in six hundred and sixty five career games. It's crazy. Almost four hundred goals in six hundred games. And his numbers on a on a 50 goal season basis and on a career basis are actually better than Cam Neely. Who's in the hall of fame. His numbers are better. Yeah. Um, no one's talked about Tim Kerr in that light. And I understand and I understand why, but when you think about that power play and you watch video, which I did today and yesterday, it, it's, it's amazing what he, what that power play was able to accomplish because it was a working man's power play. It didn't have a Connor McDavid or a Leon Dreisaitl. Tim Kerr would have three guys hanging on him, and you could still get him the puck, Pelly Eklund said. You know, didn't matter how covered he looked. He was like, just feed it into me. It was like almost like being one of those basketball players that's taller than everyone else around the hoop. Like you just – you have an incredible advantage at the net to be able to put the puck in. And so um, looking forward to writing it, but just – uh, one of those seasons that, you know, it, you think of the 1980s and you think of all the records, the 62 records that Wayne Gretzky set. This is not one of them. Well, see, Gretzky, the most power play goals he ever had was 20, right? Ryan Smith had tied it. He was never a big power play point producer, really. Like Lemieux, McDavid, speaking of power play seasons, McDavid now, the, um, he's got 67 power play points. 
The only guy with more is Lemieux. He had 79, 79, and 80. And uh, McDavid's likely going to get three more down the stretch. So he'll only be the second guy to, to have 70 power play points. Um, McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins are the second trio ever to all have 50 power play points, joining Lemieux, Francis, and Jaeger from 96. And like they're they're pretty like their power play right now is at thirty two point seven percent. That's the best ever in NHL history. The seventy eight Canadians were thirty one point nine percent. So there is lots of like dry subtles chasing thirty and maybe thirty four. And you know he could pass Lemieux who had thirty one twice and Joe Newendike and then Dave Andrewchuk had thirty two. So you know he's got a chance to you know he's going to be he's already top five, but he could finish even higher. And their power play though, Frank is pushing here to set the all-time single season record. And as a team, I think that's a record that that group wants to have. I could see them trying to chase it down for sure. Um, The other stat about Tim Kerr's season, 1985-86, he only scored six power play goals in his last 20 games. He actually slumped to end the year. So he had 28 through the first 56 games he played. Wow. Yeah. A, a power, play, power goal. play goal per game. Yeah, every second game. He's on pace for basically 37 at that point. Yeah, and Dreisaitl right now is on pace for 33. Yes. 32 and a half. Yeah, so. Again, 34 goals of any kind in a season. Amazing. Yeah. I but know there's lots of people that, on the power play. Like I still don't understand the people that try to downplay power play points. Like, oh, well, they're racking up points in the power play. I'm like, everybody gets the chance in the power play. If you're better at scoring than other people on the power play, you're better. Doesn't yeah, mean what's, any less. what's the difference? I don't, like the goal yeah. still counts the same. Like it still helps you win. And I would argue in some ways it's even more critical. Totally. Because especially when you get to the playoffs, like the teams that go on runs, their power plays clicking. Yeah, Colorado was over 30% last year. Tampa, when they won, was 30%. Like, don't kid yourselves. And I know there's a there's a fallacy that there's less power plays in the playoffs. There's actually more power plays per game. The difference is there's probably more infractions that don't get called. Fair, but actual power plays. So when you say power plays don't matter, you're wrong. You're wrong. Don't say it. You're wrong. Because there's actually more per game in the playoffs. Are there more missed calls? Yes, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the power play, and trust me, it's highly important come playoff time. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. Let's bring in uh, Ty Uremchuk. Yes, a little buy or sell today brought to you by our friends over at uh, Points Bet Canada. Before we get into that, though, it is opening day in Major League Baseball. Our friends at Points Bet Canada have all the latest odds. I'll ask you guys, go to Ballpark Food, Frank. I know you I know you crush a lot of ballpark food, you and your son, last summer. <laughs> Yeah, just to crush a lot of food in general, unfortunately. I know, but I was alluding to the fact you guys did your tour. Yeah, we had a good time. Well, looking forward to continuing it this year. Uh, Got to map out where we're going to go. So you did all those parks last year. My question, the best ballpark food you had at all at any of them? Huh. Honestly, I never, there wasn't anything that I had that I was like, oh, I, this, is, I, this is something to write home about. No? Wow. I'm a pretty simple and I, I, dollar dog night is, is one of the holidays in my house. Like I, as I said on the show yesterday, I try and go one dog per inning when I go, which is uh, pretty awesome. Nine hot dogs. Dude, Gregor's face. When I said that was unbelievable. <laughs> That's a lot of dogs. Yeah. It was nine, but where else can you get nine hot dogs for $9? Come on. Oh, fair enough. Jay, go to ballpark food. 
What are you going to eat? The, you're going to enter the hot dog eating contest for media guys soon, Frank? Maybe uh, I don't. Put, I'll put my money on you knowing that. Um, you know what? I went to San Francisco a few years ago, and a they, they had a really good. Um, um, beer. I can't remember the name of it, but it was an ale and it was like a local beer, a microbrewery. So I love that. And uh, yeah, any hot dog at the ballpark, I don't know what it is. Just you sit, maybe it's because you're sitting outside and it's usually sunny. So uh, I'm going to go for the dog I have, but they also had a bag of caramel corn that had like chocolate mixed in it for popcorn. Ooh. Big fan of that. So what is your go-to hot dog topping? Like, what do you put on it? Oh, mustard, ketchup, and relish. Oh, you do all three. That's wow. Yeah, no that's, onions that's though. Sociopathic sauerkraut. Ooh. I would yes. do if, if the options there for some onion. I'll go onion and ketchup and just those two. Um, but Most I do like hot I dog go, relish. Like I go relish only, relish, guys. Relish have you, only. you have hot dog relish in the states, Frank? What is that? It's like a mixture of mustard and relish together. It's a little bit more yellowy than the green relish. It's unreal. Does it come in like a tube, like a can? No, no. Yeah, it comes in like a glass container, just like relish. Huh. Hot dog yeah. relish. I, sometimes Trust I go me. relish only. Sometimes I go, I don't like mixing the, like sometimes I could go ketchup only. Sometimes I could go oh, mustard. I only. love the mix. It's like a swamp water just on the hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a trip to Heartburn city for me. Uh, let's get into. You're eating nine hot dogs. <laughs> that to me is a trip to, to Heartburn city. Uh, I don't know. Uh, All right, I got three buy or sell situations here loaded up for you guys. The Panthers, Flames, and Preds are the three teams sitting on the outside. I'm going to say one of them makes the leapfrog into the playoffs. Frank, you buying or selling that? Selling. I'm going to say the 16 teams that are in right now are the 16 teams that stay in. All right. God, I want chaos, but... Like, I think the Islanders are home free. Seattle's obviously home free. So are you catching Penguins or the, the Jets? Like, God, the, like the Jets, at some point, Mark Shifley's going to score again. Is he not? Like, come on. So um, I think the Flames have teased their fans all year long. They're getting close. But the heartbreak of Calgary, they will miss by a point. And their, their fans will be deservedly irate. Between the Flames and Canucks, who are the two disappointing Western Canadian teams this year, which team's playoff chances would you buy on for next season? Between the Flames and Canucks, who's got the better playoff shot next year, Jason? Well, I've said that I've said the Canucks are one of the most disappointing teams all year long. Look at how they played since. Uh, their best players are playing better. They've got an elite center. They got uh, a very good, very elite defenseman, a goaltender. Yeah, I like them better, but I want to see what the offseason changes are in Calgary, right? Like there's, there could be some significant ones from coach to other things. Like Calgary's not going to lose 28 games by one goal again. That's not going to happen. So I think that's a really good question, but I'm probably going to reserve it to see what happens in the summertime because that's going to break it. I think both teams should be comp- way more competitive next year than they were this year. I don't even think this is close for me. Like it's Calgary and that's it. I just refuse to be fooled by any team winning games right now when it doesn't matter, like the Canucks are doing. How many years do we hear in Ottawa or Columbus or pick a market where it's like, oh, but look how good they finished. They're going to carry that momentum into next season. This doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. And I think it's great the um, structure and all the different things that Rick Tockett has 
brought to that team. Like, I think it's been really important and it's a building block, but I think that that team is fundamentally flawed in their construction and they're actually over the cap. Like, like let's say you want to sign Dermot and you want to sign Ethan bear, for instance, they're, they're actually over the cap right now. You, You need to trade players to get there. And we've heard for years, like 18 months now, this, this organization talk about salary cap flexibility. They haven't done it. So this Calgary team, I think, has vastly underachieved, whereas I would say we have enough evidence to know with the Vancouver Canucks over the last few years that they're just not very good. And so that's why my answer is Calgary. Interesting. Yeah, that's crazy about the Canucks. I'm just looking at their cap-friendly page right now. Even though $3.7 million in dead cap space is coming off the books, they are still $1.5 million over the cap for next year. That is that is something. Uh, third one I got for you, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is sitting sixth in the NHL in points this season. I will say the Nuge is having the most surprising season of any player in the NHL. Do you buy or sell that statement, Frank? I my gut says buy. I just don't know what I don't know in terms of the other contenders. Tage Thompson, Eric Carlson having a bounce back. I think those would be up there. Linus Allmark becoming a Vesna caliber goalie would probably be up there as well. Those were the guys who I kind of had in the mix, but I went with the Nuge because I think and to steal your line. He's the winner, I think. Yeah, to steal your line from Owen every day. You said if the Oilers would have been happy with seventy or eighty points, never mind a hundred. Yeah, I can't. Sixth in league scoring? Like, sorry, no one saw that coming. No one saw 100 points coming. They just didn't. Yeah, it's it's the most unexpected season for sure. Um, it's not the best season. It's definitely the most unexpected. But I will put out one guy because career highs coming into this season, 69 points, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Career high, 68 points, Elias Pettersson. Now, a lot of people thought Pettersson hadn't lived up to his potential, so that's valid. But he's gonna he's got a chance to break his career high by just as much, if not more, than Nugent Hopkins, depending on how they finish. So he'd yeah. be the one guy if we're going off of previous bests and improving it that much. But Nugent Hopkins, you're right. He's not the number one center. He's not the main guy, but he's had an unreal year for sure. It'd be the most unexpected. But Pedersen's had a really big jump. I think Pedersen's more like, finally he arrived. I'd probably have to word it different, right? No one thought Nugent Hopkins would do this. People were hoping Pedersen would do it, right? They called this two years ago, and they've been waiting for it. It's finally arrived. It's kind of a a bit of a misnomer, though, in the sense that Basically, right out of the shoot, his 20 and 21-year-old seasons, Pedersen was a point per game. That's fair. So, I don't know. It's a huge jump, but we also then had some shortened seasons. Yeah, but he also only had, what do you have, 68 last year, right? Full season. Yep. All right, there you go. That is a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell, brought to you by our friends at Points Bet Canada. Now, before we go, Frank, do you, uh, are, are we giving an update on uh, how's the quest to 200 going? I haven't stepped on the scale. Um, I actually don't, I don't weigh myself all that often. Um, it's not for fear of knowing. I can tell you I feel better. Um, my clothes are fitting a little better, so I'm probably down a few LBs. I think it's been a healthy way to do it. I've been really conscious of my 
Um, my intake, I've been, you know, keeping portions in mind and definitely I'm counting calories. So my every dinner that I've had in the last week has been under a thousand, which has been good. Um, and I was drinking a thousand calories a day in soda and coffee and iced tea. And so I'm, yeah, I'm definitely down. I just don't know how much. And I did have like, I did have a couple, you know, I actually got a, a message from someone on, on Insta. I, I on St. Patty's day, I tweeted a, a pic of myself having a Guinness at a, at my local Irish pub. And someone said, I thought you were on a diet. It's like, well, I'm allowed to have a Guinness every now and again. Oh yeah. It doesn't mean you're going cold Turkey. Now, how many sodas have you cut out? I have not to- had one soda. And you were drinking two or three a day, right? Yeah, I would have like um, like a you know a venti whatever from Starbucks for 280 calories, and then have a couple sodas as well. So yeah, easy, like easily getting to a thousand calories, like without oh, well, thinking. You, you cut that out. I bet. I bet you you're down way more because your face already looks thinner. I've definitely. I've not had one soda. The only calorie beverage that I've had has been that those beers. No, and that's it. Well, Guinness is, buddy, Guinness is really, a, it's a, it's to, to cure illness. So it's actually good for you. <laughs> so that's it. I, I've had a couple diet sodas. I've had some Coke Zero. Um, but that's. Yeah, there's a lot of other garbage in that. Yeah, there, I'm not saying it's healthy, but it's still zero calories. I've had a couple of those. But other than that, right here, buddy, find a water you like and it will get you where you need to go. Fiji, nah. I, I like Fiji. I like smart water. Um I think act like people joke like water is water, you idiot. Like, no, actually there's a reason why there's 30 brands at the grocery store because yeah. they all have a different taste and texture. Probably right. I'm a tap water guy. We have the air, we have the filtration system at home. I crush waters all the time at home. I love it. So I know well, it's uh, a dangerous week for that in Philadelphia here. So yeah. we had a toxic spill into the river, which impacted drinking supplies. So I was wow. very happy to have my, uh, supply Fiji. of Fiji at home. All right, Frank. Well, we'll get an update on that because uh, I know people like to. Yeah, to thanks for the support. I appreciate cool. everyone that sent me a message. Um, I'm trying. I got my goal is you know now that I've been eating a little bit better and drinking more water, really up the exercise, and then that's when you'll start to see some more results. But I figured if I don't get my actual food intake in order, whatever I do is not going to matter. No, it's very true. The diet is the biggest one. And diet's probably an unhealthy word. It's just eating smart is the key my, one. My goal is right. to fit comfortably in my suits at the Stanley Cup final in June. Ooh, there you go. Nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you there and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.